Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. All right, welcome to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Dan Bentley here from Impacto Consulting and as always joined here by Tracy Newman. Trace, what's been going on? Well, I'm going to say I'm enjoying the change with daylight savings ending here in South Australia. It means that I can kind of get up and it's light and take my dog for a walk and start my day the way I like to start it. So it's a nice time of year, I find, autumn. Yeah, it is starting to get that little bit cozy, isn't it? I've just sort of felt like, you know, every night it's been also the opposite, getting a bit darker a bit earlier and it's been nice just to sort of, you know, chuck the heater on and feel nice and cozy. So it is definitely changing. Unfortunately, there's lots of uh, colds and things going around because the weather is changing, but I do love it. And it also means the footy's back too. So that's always exciting for me, even though my team's not off to a great start this year. But hey, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk a bit about as a leader, are you actually getting in the way of your people or are you empowering them to be able to innovate? That's a topic we want to talk about. We've got five different areas we're going to go through that we've learned through our work really make a big difference. Let's get into it and let's maybe kick off with the first one. But before we do, I'll just give a bit of context around why we want to talk about this and and our experience with this. So, you know, quite often we get brought into organizations and the leaders are sort of saying to us, well, we're not really quite sure why we're not getting the outcomes that we're, we're looking to achieve, whatever that might be. And quite often leaders will have like blind spots of areas where they're not doing something well or they're missing something or it might even be them. And it's really hard when you work within that organization and you're part of that system and you're part of the furniture, I guess, to be able to spot those. And that's the real value bringing in external people, whether that be us or a new person into the organization, it doesn't matter, right? Those fresh eyes get fresh ideas and spot fresh opportunities. And I think that's one of the real powerful things and what makes our job kind of easy sometimes going in is that we've seen what good looks like and we have also haven't been there to see how all these things have been created and we, we don't understand the whole organization. So it can be quite easy for these things to stand out. And what we often find is it's actually often simple things. You know, none of the stuff that we go through is necessarily that innovative, but it's about execution. I think that's one of the, the key thoughts that I've really had through doing a lot of this work is that the best organizations execute this stuff well. And so these five areas that we're going to go through today, if you can do a bit of an audit on your own organization or get somebody with fresh eyes to have a look at them, it can really help you to make sure that you're not ticking all the right boxes, but not truly executing it the way that it needs to be executed in order to get the result that you're looking for. hope that makes sense. Absolutely. It's really easy to sort of get into that part of a understanding the reasons why things work the way that they do and so you don't necessarily sort of evaluate them with that sort of clean slate mindset but also it's very common you know the saying can't see the forest for the trees you know because you're actually part of that organization and part of those systems and you know it's really challenging sometimes to take a a totally sort of fresh approach and actually step back and have a look at it from a different perspective. So it is really valuable to actually take that time out and be really deliberate about it if you're finding that you're not 
having the impact that you want to, certainly making sure that you really are genuinely empowering your people versus telling them that they're empowered and then not actually supporting that with anything that they really need to be able to make effective change. All right. Number one, let's get into it. The first one that we want to talk about is process. And specifically what we're talking about here is an innovation process. If you are, as a leader, saying to your people, oh my God, we've got this mission, we need to change the world by doing X, Y, Z. I need you to get out there and I need you to start making change, meaningful change. If you don't have a process that everybody really understands of how that innovation is going to work and like an easy way for people to navigate the change process of of your organization, it's really, really hard for those individuals and those teams to be able to do what you're asking them to do. I think it's as simple as that. You know, organizations that we've seen do this stuff really, really well are organizations that have a very clear process that it's continuous improvement focused. You know, there's things like the senior leaders have buy into this and they sign things off and they sort of approve things and let things go through the process. You know, there's prior to prioritization. It's really well communicated and everyone sort of knows how to access it and they can access it. When this is all sort of implemented really well, Anybody can then innovate in the organization. It's not just available to a certain few people. The really telling part of whether or not you have an innovation process that is really effective is have we been able to use this process to implement innovations successfully? Because that's the the greatest test of whether or not your process is really functioning well is the results that, you know, I guess will come out of, of that process. So if you're looking at it and saying, well, you know, we've got everything here, we've got all that criteria met, but you still don't have successful outcomes at the end of it, well, then it's time to go back and actually have a look at, at each step of the process and get an understanding of, you know, where those bottlenecks might be and what changes might need to occur to be able to really bring that to life. Because I know we've, you know, we've worked and, and seen organizations that have a really great innovation process. However, it doesn't necessarily lead to successful innovations. And with those fresh eyes, when we're actually looking at it, we're able to go, oh, okay, well, it's this part here. Or, okay, well, we've spoken to people and it's this part here that really needs to have some work done. Yeah. And look, we've got a story that we like to tell about this. And the idea of the story is it brings home just how important it is that it's an equitable and easily accessible process as well. Because like to Tracy's point, you can have the best bloody process that you know you can get a top-end consultancy to create for you and it can have all the bells and whistles and it'd be best practice, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, if you don't execute the thing well, it's no good to you, right? It's not going to do anything. And we were brought in a while ago to help a Australian state government department, help them understand what was going wrong with their innovation process. And we did some interviews with some people at all different levels of the organization. And, you know, senior leaders were kind of confused about it. They were kind of like, well, you know, we've had this process for a while. Some stuff kind of goes through it, but we're also hearing that people are leaving on the front lines and are not happy in the front lines because, you know, they just kind of feel like we're not doing enough and, you know, the things are difficult and for the, in their job and all that. So we're a bit confused. Anyways, after doing these discussions and having a look at the process, it was a, it was a damn good process. It was really good. But what we sort of found was that there was this inequality in the access of it across the organization and senior leaders knew about it and they were feeding some things into it. Middle management were using it and they were feeding things into it. But for some reason, 
frontline workers were not given access to this particular process. So here are these people that are on the front line, obviously, understanding all the nuances and all the challenges firsthand of what it's like to deal with the organization's processes and systems and you know, the experience that the clients are getting, you know, the people that they're there to support are getting from the organization. And they're just having to work around all these problems. And their view is this organization doesn't care about these people. And they also don't really care too much about us because we're just having to sort of do with the tools that we've got. Meanwhile, there's this whole system sitting there being used by other people that is actually designed for them to use, but just wasn't implemented in the right way. And so when we were able to call that out, that was able to be very quickly changed and you should have seen the outcomes that this department started to achieve for the people that they were designed to support like the community it was just it was crazy like the list just was humongous that came through they were able to go through and prioritize what the top ideas and top areas i needed to work on were and then they were able to sort of start pushing them through this this system that like i said there was nothing wrong with the system it was all about the communication and like i said the reason we share this story is because this happens a lot this is not a one off story we we see this often and sometimes it can be about well we've got a process but you know certain people only get access to it but at the end of the day we all play a role in the client experience and we all play a role in representing the organization so it's really really important that you do have an innovation and collaboration process that is accessible for everybody what you might want to have as part of that though, if you are worried about you know, making sure the right things are getting worked on and you're not wasting resources or distracting people from their jobs, is having a really good prioritization process as part of that that is really well communicated, well documented and clear so that people understand that not everything that does get submitted is going to necessarily be worked on right now. There is a hierarchy to that and that the, you work on the things that are going to have the biggest return on investment to your clients, you know, your organization, et cetera, et cetera. And it's interesting because that's commonly the concern that people have with making an innovation process, you know, accessible right across the organization. They're, they're concerned that they're going to get all of these great ideas and they're not going to be able to execute on anything because they're going to, you know, be overloaded and then people are going to be frustrated and it's, it's not going to work. And all of those things are absolutely true. And what's really key there is instead of trying to reduce the input is actually just to be really effective with that input and that communication. Because people have this idea that everyone expects their idea is going to be worked on straight away. However, in reality, what we see is that people go, oh yeah, actually that's true. You know, that thing is a much higher priority than my idea. Yeah, I get it. You know, like they're not unreasonable at all. They absolutely understand it. It's just that most commonly their experience is they'll submit an idea and then they'll hear nothing. And after a while, they'll kind of go, oh, well, I guess that nothing's happening. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it is actually actively being worked on and there's some really good progress. So it just goes to show the importance of having that communication around that. And sometimes it, it has been deprioritized, but without that communication, it's just not clear to people why and what was prioritized. But it's very easy to galvanize people, particularly when you've got a really strong mission, because people can go, oh, well, I get it. That really aligns strongly with what we're out to achieve. Of course, we're going to prioritize that. Yeah, I agree. Communication is a, is a huge part of it. Not only are the things that you're working on or not working on, but the things that you've worked on and getting those 
outcomes back out to people to say, hey, because I tell you what will happen, when you launch something like this, you'll get a lot of skeptical people. Maybe you've done something like this before. Maybe it didn't work. Maybe people submitted something and they never heard anything back. So they're like, I'm not doing it. I tell you right now, from our experience, if you start communicating a few things, you might get you know one, two, three ideas and changes that need to be made come through. But once you start communicating on a regular basis that things are changing, you watch that organically just grow very, very fast because people start going, oh, wait, so it's worth my time actually submitting that form or going to that work, whatever it is that they need to do to be able to get something into that process. All of a sudden it goes bang and people go, this is real. I want these things to be changed. It's worth my while to do whatever it is I need to do to get that started. The next one is all about commitment. And so what we mean by commitment is as the senior leaders of the organization, you really need to be committed to change and committed to making a difference. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organization to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customized report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. I think everybody sees themselves as being somewhat innovative and being open to change. But I think when you really sort of look into it, a lot of people in their behavior aren't. And what we mean by commitment is from the senior leaders of the organization that there's a real commitment to actually change things and allow people to actually make changes. We were brought in a while ago to work with an organization and they had invested in so many different innovation type things. Like they trained everybody in a heap of processes. They had, they had a process to innovate. They literally had like a great ambitious mission, like all the things that we talk about, they're doing a lot of them, but they sort of brought us in to sort of say to them, well, why is it not working? And we said, all right, let's, let's come in and have a bit of a look. And anyway, we dug around, we spoke to some people, we sort of, you know, tried to understand what was happening. And what we found out was, is that the, whilst the senior leaders were saying, we're really on board with this and we're going to invest, what was really missing was that everything that would come through that process would come to the top and they'd go, oh, yeah, okay, I see the research. Yep, looks compelling. Ah, I don't know if we're going to be able to fit it in this quarter. Maybe next quarter. Next quarter comes, doesn't come, right? It doesn't happen. Oh, yep, that one looks good. Looks a little bit risky at this current time in the market. Let's hold off on that one. Anyways, long story short, they just weren't taking any risk. They weren't pulling the trigger, even though all the evidence was there to show them that these were great ideas and things that had been co-designed and you know, they had all the data there to show that this stuff had been tested and was going to work. These same senior leaders who'd hired us to come in and help them understand what was going on were the same people that were causing a bottleneck in their process and not allowing things to come through. If you've heard this story before, we do talk about this story a lot because it is a good one, but it happens in a lot of different organizations. This is probably just the most simple version of the story, but it's always quite interesting having to give that feedback to the same people that hired you as going, well, unfortunately, you guys are the reason this is actually not going through. And obviously, we didn't say it in that way. But this is not uncommon. It is quite common that you can be the thing that's getting in the way of your people. And they were committed to wanting to innovate, but they weren't willing to be able to take any risks. They're very risk averse. And what we had to do then was help them to sort of increase their risk appetite. And it wasn't about being reckless or anything like that. It was about saying, well, how do we increase your appetite for risk? How do we do it in a way that is going to be safe for your organization and your reputation, but it also means that you're not going to just say no to everything. A 
again, it comes down to, you know, basic human nature. You know, we have this bias for the status quo. We're really comfortable with things that we know. So there is a real challenge for everybody. And, you know, senior leaders, et cetera, aren't immune to that. There's that real comfort in what we know and that real desire to actually stay within, you know, that place where we know the outcome that we're going to get and we're confident and we're comfortable, we know what to do. So, you know, change isn't always really super easy for anyone within an organisation. So you've really got to have that strong commitment to be able to create the outcomes that you're looking for that will kind of take everybody within the organisation through from that sort of starting point out to where you're actually really creating an impact for the people that you're out to support. Yeah, Tracy, they have they considered the cost of inaction though? That's the question that I have. (laughs) I was actually thinking exactly the same thing because, yeah, we don't see the cost of not doing something as clearly as we see, you know, the cost of the risk or the cost of actually making a change. We've actually got to be deliberate about looking for that, right? Absolutely. I bring that up because a couple of episodes ago, we did an episode on that. So if you are interested in learning a bit about that, you know, how to sort of persuade people to to not just think about the cost of change, but the cost of not changing, that's a good episode to check out. Another one, which is tip number three, which is around having a budget is another one that we've done an episode on. So we won't go into too much detail here, but let's just touch on that. Tracy, do you want to talk a little bit about what an innovation budget can look like? Absolutely. And we do talk about this a bit. And because, you know, we're using the word innovation and budget together, people sometimes have this idea that for it to actually create a difference, it needs to be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, of course, if you're an organization that can support an innovation budget of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, then that's great. Not suggesting that you shouldn't do that. However, it's not the size of the budget that really creates the impact. It creates an impact through two things. One, it really clearly articulates to the organisation that commitment. We're so committed to innovation that we are actually going to fund that through an innovation budget. So that's a really strong, powerful, action-oriented message to send throughout the organisation around priorities. But the other thing is it also actually makes innovation possible because whilst you don't necessarily need to fund, you know, a whole new program or something like that out of your budget, if you have an innovation budget that allows for testing, it allows for collaboration, it allows for people to actually experiment and create the data that gives you the knowledge of whether or not something is a safe risk, then you're actually going to be able to progress. Whereas if you have zero funds, it can actually mean that you're just not able to do that testing and you're not able to understand what's available. You're not able to collaborate. You're not able to sort of run those workshops and things like that because you simply don't have the budget to be able to do it. It's one of those things that it's hard to operate around. Yeah. Totally agree. And, you know, a lot of our budgeting in organizations is done based off like operational expenses and things that are like reoccurring. And so obviously things like innovation, if you looked at it on a per initiative perspective, they're not reoccurring, but innovation is reoccurring. So what we're saying is it's just making sure that you do have a line item or a couple, if you're lucky, of line items to actually say, well, we know that we are going to be innovating every year. So we need to have some funding there to enable that. And, you know, I agree with exactly what Tracy said before. She's put it very nicely. It's not the size of the budget. It's how you use it. Nice, man. <laughs> you didn't quite say that, but that's what I kind of heard. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go straight on to our, our next tip, which is all about actually having the tools to innovate. 
because, you know, having a process and having that commitment and that budget are all really powerful things, but the tools are the things that are actually going to really unlock that across the organisation. So, you know, things like best practice sharing, things like documents and models and exercises and things that actually support building capability, interview guides, all of those things that people can then actually use when creating innovations are really, really important. And yes, I'm all too well aware that we're now talking about tools following on from your conversation about the budget and how you use it so no but yeah you're right it's all about these tools it's about toolkits it's about you know sharing best practice you know making sure you've got people who can coach and give the tools to the people you know making things easy for people as well you know we talk about this a lot i think we might have another episode on setting up engagement groups and things like that if not we'll do one soon because it's something that we we do talk about a lot on our webinars and our masterclass etc but You've got to make it easy for people to innovate. Like that's that's the thing. Like, yes, the process is one part of it. The budget's having some resources, you know, your commitment. But the tools are about like what templates or guides or other resources do people have so that innovation becomes easy for them. You know, we, we see this again too often where it's like senior leader gets up there and says, hey, guys, you know, innovation's this thing that we should all be doing. Everyone knows the world's changing, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, go out and now just you know, use your spare time to do something that you don't really know how to do and you don't have any other things. And then, you know, a few months later, why aren't you guys doing it? You know, like, I know that sounds really simplistic and I don't mean that at all to be disrespectful, but this is literally what happens, but just not in such a blunt way. <laughs> Please don't take that wrong way. I don't mean it to be disrespectful, but I'm trying to summarize a story. But, you know, essentially what you do see is people sort of saying, well, go and do this. But if you don't have those really good toolkits and those templates and a central resource and all these different things we've already sort of mentioned, it's really hard for your people to do it. And people need guidance. People need help. And especially they need more guidance when they're doing something that they're not familiar with. You know, when you further down the track and you build up these capabilities and you've got it becoming a standard part of your culture, maybe you don't need to invest in so much guidance, but especially when you're doing any sort of change as a starting point, you've got to have those tools and resources there for people so that it's really easy for them to do it. You know, we talk about this all the time. We get brought in to do training a lot in organizations, especially around co-design. You know, that's a really big thing at the moment. And people go, we've done the training now. And I'm like, what are your expectations out of that? Well, expectations are people are now going to do it. Like, okay, they want to run a workshop. They need to go and find 15 people to attend, work out some way to entice them to want to attend, make sure that they are the right people, you know, build out all the content for the workshop, work out a way to hold it. Like that's a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot more work than the way that they used to work, which you don't want them to do anymore, which is get a bunch of people together in a room and make decisions on their behalf. So what tools do you need to give those people to make that just as easy or easier than what they used to do? And then well, what if we had somebody set up ongoing engagement groups and that same individual that's just come out of the training can actually go and say, hey, I want to book 30 minutes to run a short workshop with that group of people to get some input into you know, this particular challenge that I'm trying to solve or this communication I'm trying to build or whatever it might be. Maybe also you have already predetermined agreements that somebody has set up on behalf of the whole organization to say, this is how we're going to remunerate these people when they do come in every two weeks for one hour or two hours or whatever that might be. Those individuals don't have to do that every single time. Maybe you've got a toolkit that's got different exercises you can run as part of a workshop so that person doesn't have to come up with them themselves. They've got best practice things that they can tailor. That's the sort of stuff I'm talking about. That sort of dovetails really well into our last 
point as well, which is all about capability. So they do really work hand in hand. You know, as you were saying, like people need support to build that capability. So part of it is about, you know, tools and templates and things that actually provide that that support. But the other part around building capability, yes, it's it's about training, but it's also about coaching. It's about support. It's about actually giving people some time to do this work outside of their day job. And it's about giving them that feedback around, this is where you're at. I'd thought that, you know, maybe at this point you would be further along. What are some of the things that are getting in your way? Or, wow, you know, that was really fast. Who did you consult? (laughs) How did you go about doing that? Like really actually helping somebody to, rather than, you know, go off and do the training and and therefore expect that they're going to have that full capability. It's about actually building that and providing them, you know, with the tools that they need to really be able to experiment and try something new within their workday and actually be able to really bring that to life. Yeah, well, look, when people know what to do, that's the first step, right? You've got to be able to give them that capability. And then once you've got that, all these other bits and pieces are just what support that knowledge. Just by giving people knowledge, it's not enough for them just to go and act. I would love to know the stats on this. How many people go to a training session walkout going, oh, that was sick. I loved it. And then what percentage of people actually go and do something? We can tell you what it is for our work because we measure it and it's pretty good. That's one of our key gripes. You know, we, we are an organization that prides ourselves on impact. So we are really big on wanting to make sure that we don't deliver training where that does happen. But I can tell you right now, it's, it still happens. And the way that does happen is when you don't have these other areas supporting that capability build. It's too hard for people. You know, if you think back to the example I gave before about the co-design training that happens. Even at an organisational level, you know, if you're thinking about tools, if you have each person individually going and creating their own tool for everything that they want to do, that's a lot of resources used across the organisation versus actually, you know, creating that together and creating it once and then everyone being able to access it and use it. And there are some really great resources that are available that help to support Things like, you know, there's the design playbook from IDEO and things like that, like really great free resources, which is a really good starting point as well. All right. So what we usually do around this, so there's these five areas. What we normally do is we run a workshop when we work with organizations as part of our program, but maybe something that you could do right now, just as a bit of a, an entree, a bit of a starting point, is just do a bit of a self-question, a bit of a self-audit. Like, you know, do I actually have in my organization processes that enable people to submit ideas or raise issues to be worked on and co-designed and collaborated on with our clients. Are me and my team truly committed to change? And I think what Tracy said earlier was really good around that is like, if you say yes to that, you'd want to be able to think of some really, a couple of really decent recent examples where you've actually done that. Because I think most people would say, I'm committed to change. It's it's pretty easy to let yourself off the hook with that. So let's take it to the next level and really question that and go, what recent change have me and my team been committed to and we have successfully been able to push through? The next one is around, do we have funding available for people to pursue new ideas? Do we have that budget? Do our people have the tools? You know, we gave some good examples before, but have we made it easy providing toolkits, templates, processes that help people to make it as easy to do what I want them to do as what they were doing previously, which is what I don't want them to do. (laughs) And finally, am I giving the right people in the right roles the right level of capability to really be able to execute on what it is that I'm looking for them to do, which is obviously to innovate and create even more impact? 
So there you have it. There's our five areas. Enjoyed that one today. We went on a whole thing of telling some stories, got into some dirty jokes, hopefully delivered some value in there, guys. So gave you a bit of a self-assessment at the end, all wrapped up in 30 minutes. So look, hope you enjoyed it. We sure did enjoy uh, creating that one. It was a fun episode. Good luck with the audit. And, you know, there's, like Tracy said, there's many different resources out there. And some of our other episodes as well will also help you to get some more information on any of those topics, such as the budget or having a process or some of the capability stuff and tools and stuff too. We've got some episodes on that. So check out some of the others too. But we'll leave it there. Thanks so much, Trace. Always Thank a pleasure. You. It is. And we'll see everybody else on our next episode. Cheers. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.